Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to The Hiker Podcast. Greetings, everyone. It's Andy here with The Hiker Podcast. I'm super excited for this week's episode. Um, It's been a crazy few weeks, though, here in Southern Oregon. I've had the wonderful disappointment of having to cancel my first backpacking trip. I know so many of us right now are disappointed with uh, with what's going on because we can't go camping and we can't uh, go hiking and our trails are closed, especially if you're in California, Oregon or Washington. But as I'm opening up this show, uh, first of all, thank you for listening and taking the time to listen to the Hiker Podcast. It means the world that you would take the time to listen to what um, is being put out there. And so thank you so much. But as we, if we've ended the summer, the summer is over. I just want to remind all of us that, you know, it, it stinks to not be able to go on the outdoors right now. It, it's not fun to, you know, have to stay in. And so many of us are still dealing with smoke from the wildfires, but there are so many who have lost so much, um, in Detroit, Oregon, or in Phoenix town, Oregon, and many other places all over the uh, the West Coast, and I talked last week about what was going on here in Oregon, especially in Southern Oregon, and I'm just going to open the show up with this. If you would like to help with Southern Oregon fire relief, I would encourage you to go to hikerpodcast.com, where I have a link to the Phoenix Talent Families Fire Relief Fund administered by the Phoenix Talent School District. The towns of Phoenix and Talent, Oregon are under one school district, and those two towns were completely obliterated by the Alameda fire here in Southern Oregon two weeks ago now today. So if you would like to help out um, over 2,300 residential structures have been destroyed in Southern Oregon and over half, half of the Phoenix talent school districts, families lost their home. This is a great place to give because you have these teachers who have known these kids for years. They know these families. They have direct relationships with them. Many of these teachers have multiple generations go through their classrooms. And it's just a great way to get get the funds to where they need to go because there's these relationships already built there. So go to hikerpodcast.com. You can go to our Facebook from there, our Instagram from there, all the different ways you can listen to the Hiker Podcast, including Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcast, Anchor, Pocket Cast, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Also, our sponsors, uh, which are Quantum Energy Squares. They are an affiliate sponsor. I'll be talking more about them in the future. Um, Hike Southern Oregon, which is actually, I could say it's a sponsor, but it's a website I created. <laughs> I put them on there as a sponsor. What do you do? But um, the sponsor of this show, of course, is Sawyer Products, who bring you everything you need to keep you outdoors. And uh, before we continue on the show i want to talk with the prodigy himself from sawyer products you know tyler and he's going to be talking a little bit about repellent and keeping insects off you while you're on the trail What is up there, hikers? It's Andy here with another installment of the Sawyer segment, talking about Sawyer products and what they do around the world, what they do to help hikers and to prevent water and insect 
foreign diseases. And this week I have the man, the myth, the legend, Prodigy. You all know him from his memes on Instagram. Um, talking about Bacardian topical repellent. Prodigy, how you doing? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for being on. Um, what is Bacardian? Why do we need to wear it? Why is it important? Um, why can't I just go out all frilly nilly without having anything on into the wilderness? <laughs> well, let's start with saying that Picaridin is a synthetic replica of the piperin molecule, which is found in the pepper plant. So it's highly effective in helping repel mosquitoes, ticks, flies, and keeping you, your family safe, your gear safe, and you comfortable in the outdoors. So how does, how does this work? How, what do I do when, before I go on trail, what do I need to do to keep myself safe using the product? Yeah. So it comes in either a Picaridin spray or Picaridin lotion. And all you have to do is apply it before you head out the door for your trip. Uh, you can reapply if you want when you get to trail and it's effective for up to 12 hours against mosquitoes and ticks and the lotion, sorry, the spray is effective for up to 12 hours on mosquitoes and ticks and this lotion is effective for up to 14 hours so pretty much just apply it before you head out the door and you'll be protected now i was at the outfitter last week uh, shout out to uh, mountain provisions in ashland oregon and they had both and i'm like well which one should i get and they're both extremely affordable so i'm like well if one's good two must be better do I need to put on both or will one do or what's the difference between the, 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 the lotion and the spray? Yeah, it's it's more of a preference, but you definitely probably don't want to use the lotion on your gear per se. So the spray is much uh, better for that. Um, since it's a topical insect repellent, you can apply it to your skin. And for the lotion, it does last a little longer, but it's also great because if you do decide to go for a swim, it's more effective and keeping its uh, efficiency and efficacy uh, when you're swimming. That was my next question, because I know there's been times where I, I, I hike to a falls, I, I, I get I get there, I get in the water, and then I had no mosquito problems going you know, in, but now I have mosquito problems, so the lotion would be a good, a good alternative if you're planning on getting in the water, getting wet, having to afford a river, I assume. Yeah, it would be much more effective and holding its potency and you wouldn't have to reapply as quickly as you would the spray. Awesome. So where can I get this stuff? Where can I get the topical and, and spray um, online or out in the retail spaces? Yeah, so you can find Picaridin spray at your local retailers uh, such as Walmart, REI, Bella's, Fast Pro Shops. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it at your local gear shops. And you can also find it at uh, our website, SawyerSafeTravel.com. I've said it before. I say it again. Sawyer's awesome. Buy their stuff. Follow Prodigy on all the various social media networks, but especially Instagram. You don't want to miss what he's doing. Uh, as I kind of alluded to before, you can go to hikerpodcast.com to find out everything, including where to listen, including Apple Podcasts. Best way to help out this show right now, besides, you know, going to our sponsors and buying stuff, is, of course, uh, leave an Apple Podcast review um, on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is still the king of podcasts, 
though Spotify is creeping up, um, leave a written Apple podcast review, five stars. Let us know what you like about the show. And if you do, I will read it on air. And if you are not in the United States, take a screenshot of it and send it to me. Uh, I have one from Canada that was sent to me and I can't find it in my inbox. I'll find it. I'll read it. I know it's there. Someone sent it to me. So thank you so much for doing that. With that, we have for the first time on the Hiker podcast, a tiger, uh, Jeff Garmeyer. Um, many of you have been following his adventures on Instagram, on the Colorado trail and legend as his trail name is, or also many of you know him as a fastest known tiger set the fastest known time unsupported record for the Colorado trail. He also holds over 10 other or has held, I believe 12 fast fastest known time records known in the hiking community as FKTs in his lifetime. He holds the record for the triple crown calendar year. So he has hiked the triple crown of hiking. That's the Pacific Crest trail the Appalachian Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail within a calendar year, and he did it faster than any other person ever in the world. Like, he's insane, but he is such a great and humble guy. So excited I get to talk to him. He has a book out right now, which I would encourage all of you to go and get his book. We're going to talk about it in the interview. Check it out. Check out Jeff on all the various social media networks. And uh, yeah, let's just get into it. Without any further ado, we have the fastest known tiger himself, Jeff Legend Garmeyer. Call me out, tiger. Call me out, don't you laugh. Lift me up higher. This summer, with all the, not failed, um, through hiking attempts because of COVID, but the postponed or delayed through hiking attempts um, on the main three trails in the United States, the hiking community was completely enthralled with a tiger out in the world, out in the wild. Uh, Many of you know Jeff Garmeyer, also known as legend, as the fastest known tiger, but he's also um, holder of at, some, at one point, 12 fastest known time records. Uh, you may have read about him in GQ. He's, he's written a book. He is the current um, fastest known time holder for the Triple Crown of Hiking. And, of course, is a, a Triple Crown calendar year achiever. Jeff Garmeyer is on the show. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Wow. You sure make me feel and sound a lot cooler than I actually am. (laughs) (laughs) So Jeff, just introduce yourself. Who are you? Where you come from? All the, all the basic stuff hikers would want to know. Yeah. I uh, went on my first through hike in 2011 on the Pacific Crest Trail and I just fell in love with the lifestyle. That was, I'd gone to college for two years and really was working towards a degree in engineering that I knew I didn't really want. So I made a bold decision to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. So two weeks later, I flew to San Diego, got a ride with a friend to the border and started hiking with a 55 pound external frame pack and no idea what I was doing. My, um, I used a SteriPin for water and it actually broke at the first water source. So I was in pretty far over my head, but everything came together. The 
community and trail family really helped me dial in my gear and I grew to love it by the end and vowed to find more ways to hike uh, in the future. So went back, graduated from college, and then I went and hiked the Pacific Northwest Trail in 2014, uh, moved to Denver for a career. And while I was working, I decided to find some more adventures. So climbed all the Colorado 14ers in 2015, then left my job for nine months to hike the calendar year Triple Crown in 2016. Um, did some running and tried a, an ultra marathon in 2017 and did the Great Western Loop in 2018. Then um, fulfilled one of my childhood dreams of working at a ski resort and skiing 100 days a year. So I moved to Squaw, uh, well, I guess Tahoe City and soon to be name changed Squaw Valley um, Ski Resort and skied 100 days there. Uh, over the winter and then in 2019 set a few more um, trail records and then fast forward to 2020 where I thought it would be like my pinnacle year where I've always wanted to set the um, FKT which is the trail record speed record on the Pacific Crest Trail since it was my first trail and it just is my favorite trail that I've ever done I wanted to set the record on it and then you know, everything else that I ever do with hiking is kind of gravy, but with COVID and everything and um, telling people it's not a great idea to hike, had to put those I, that plan on hold, worked at a grocery store for a few months, and then came up with the plan to set the record on the Colorado Trail and also try to capture it for some sort of film. So I went out and set the unsupported record on the Colorado Trail just three weeks ago. And it feels like I definitely did because my body is about as sore as it's ever been still. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on here. I know you're still in recovery from your, your Colorado Trail FKT. So you, getting into hiking, um, what was it about the lifestyle that appealed to you other rather than being in a corporate or or you know regular day job you're like this is something i want to do rather than be in a corporate engineering world yeah so i actually i ended up getting a job or i mean a a degree and a job in the finance world and everything like i had i don't know usually 40 clients at a time and have to dedicate hours and the goals were so in flux and things that really hiking, it kind of illustrated what I loved about having one concrete goal, the flexibility of how to achieve it however you want, and just this open period of time where everyone that you interact with is so much less stressed than you meet in the real world that it felt like you could forge these real connections so much quicker with both nature, the landscape, and just the people around that I think simplifying life in that way is really, I don't know, makes it so much easier to enjoy. So you grew up in Vancouver, Washington, in the Pacific Northwest. You grew up around the outdoors before you got into, you know, through hiking. What was your relationship with the outdoors before that? Yeah, my dad is a really good fisherman, fly fisherman. We actually built 
uh, my own fly rod together. So there was a lot of fishing and then we did do some backpacking, but more the style of load up a 60 pound pack and hike in to a lake three miles and stay there for two nights. So it wasn't quite the style of through hiking, but it was a good introduction to um, hiking and kind of cooking on a camp stove by a lake or catching crawdads and just enjoying the outdoors and disconnecting. We never had cable TV or anything. So my parents were always big on experiences, whether that was traveling or an outdoor adventure or something like that. So that's where I think that desire to connect with nature comes from, but it did probably give me some false confidence starting the Pacific Crest Trail with that kind of knowledge and like a near 60 pound pack, just thinking that, you know, I've been outdoors a lot. I have a pretty good idea what I'm doing, but turns out that was not even close. So can you, can you for, for so many people that people listen to the show, they're, they're new hikers they're just getting into this world. Can you kind of explain the difference between going, you know, on a two day backpacking trip where you, you basically hike up, hike with all the luxuries that you can fit on your pack and compared to a standard, not necessarily FKT, but a standard through hike. Um, what, what would be the, the biggest differences besides the fact that you're out for four months instead of four days? Yeah. Uh, growing up, we would take a spare pair of shoes to wade in the water, a couple pairs of jeans, um, literally a frying pan to cook over a fire or something. So we carried, and a rubber raft that was like four or five pounds. So we carried everything. And when it's only three miles, you can take like an hour a mile or even more. So time isn't really of the essence, but when you're on a through hike, you really have to cut down your weight because that's going to be what both holds you back from able to log more miles and propels you forward in the sense that you need all the gear on your back. So cutting out things like a spare pair of tennis shoes and, and jeans, especially when they're wet, really aren't the best things to use on a longer hike. It's really about having a purpose that is pretty defined and going to be useful most of the time in a through hike. So kind of how I do it is uh, basically the clothes I wear, uh, usually um, like long johns or tights, just as that extra layer for my legs and then um, insulated jacket and then rain gear. And then that's sort of it. And then a couple pairs of socks, but uh, you can throw in like sleeping clothes or something too, but it's really like the bare minimum that you need because when you're out there, obviously like deodorant and smelling great is not going to be the biggest thing since uh, eventually you just stop smelling yourself. I think that happened to me a few years ago, but um, I think it's really, you become cognizant of what you're carrying when it's for a long period of time. And that's the biggest difference when it's short. Even when I go on short backpacking trips with my girlfriend, I will carry as much stuff as I can fit in a pack just because it's short and you can add to that with like comfort or anything. We've done frozen steaks, packing them in and just having a really good meal. But when you through hike, it's just so much different of a mentality. Like that's your life now. And it's like, you can't go out for a fancy dinner every night when you're just living your traditional, your normal life. But when you're on vacation, maybe it's a little bit easier to justify it. That's kind of the difference between through hiking and going overnight hiking. So let's talk a little bit here about the triple crown of hiking. You are a, a triple crown hiker, but 
you also hold the the fastest known time for the triple crown of hiking uh you did it in one calendar year what was it about the calendar year triple crown that appealed to you and you were like i want i want to do this and then do it faster than anyone else yeah that's a good question um so when I was hiking the Pacific Crest Trail in 2011, I thought about the possibility of becoming a triple crowner someday. And it, uh, and then just walking and thinking about it, it was like, well, I don't know if I'll ever get this much time to um, hike again. So I wonder if I could do them in the same year. So the two remaining ones, the Continental Divide and the Appalachian Trail. And then it became... Well, if I'm going to do two in the same year, might as well see if I could do three in the same year. So um, the idea was just kind of hatched by hiking 2,650 miles on my first through hike from Mexico to Canada. And then fast forward five years and the time kind of presented itself and um, the company I was working for was splitting apart. So I um, was going with the guy going off on his own venture and kind of made the proposal that I want to do this nine month adventure. Can you have a job or some possibility to come back here when I'm done and turned out everything fell into place and really just gave it a go. And then being, having the fastest known time was just kind of, uh, I guess it just fell into place in that way. Uh, it wasn't anything I was aiming for and, just kind of realized it was the fastest one on the site recently. So um, submitted it in the hopes to maybe give someone a benchmark to shoot for if they go for it. But um, yeah, it's really one of those things where I think maybe the fastest you could do it is maybe in the eight month range. And then of course you have up to 12 months. So it's this really tight weather window where um, I think maybe 10 or 11 people have done it by now, but I bet everyone is pretty, sandwiched together in terms of not too much oscillation and how long it's taken them. So you have 12 FKTs. I'm looking on the FKT website right now. What is it about stacking up these fastest known times that appeal to you? Um, you're kind of become known as the fastest known tiger uh, <laughs> uh, over, over the last few years. Well, what is it about getting these FKTs that you're like, I'm going to knock these out or they did, they just kind of happen. Yeah. I think they, they just kind of happen. I'd say at least half of them just kind of happen. Like the trans Zion um, traverse out and back. I did that to see if my body would hold up for the great Western loop. At that time, I didn't really know about the fastest known times website. So I submitted that one about two years later. Um, the same kind of applies for the calendar year, triple crown and great Western loop. And then a couple of them, like the Gallatin crest trail on there, that was a trail that, um, I heard about and I'd wanted to do all this year. And then I backpacked it with my girlfriend. And then two days or three days later, I ran the whole thing just to establish, uh, FKT on it simply because I thought that it was such a beautiful trail just just outside Yellowstone that it should probably get a little more attention than Yellowstone. So a lot of them have been like that. And then of course there's the bigger ones like the Long Trail and the Colorado Trail and the Arizona Trail where really I just wanted a goal that was 
something I hadn't done before or was going to challenge me in a new way. So for, I guess, um, through 2018, I, I had gone really far, like seven or 8,000 miles in a year, but I'd never really done something to see how fast I could do it. So transitioning to kind of explore the depths in that way was a big draw of the FKTs. And then that also applies to the Colorado trail just a couple weeks ago where I'd never done something unsupported for nearly 500 miles before. So it was a chance to find or test out a new challenge. So much of the the hiking community was kind of enthralled with your story, um, following you along with Instagram. What was the decision process like to do the Colorado trail and, and mindfully go for the fastest known time? What, what did that process look like? Yeah, I don't know that I am pretty spontaneous in a lot of things. So I wanted to do something to sort of salvage this year um, or test myself in some type of way on a pretty notorious FKT and some thoughts of the John Muir Trail came up or the Tahoe Rim Trail, but settled on the Colorado Trail and then unsupported just felt like the right decision in a year with COVID and most trail organizations telling people to not resupply in towns and be mindful of the smaller, more um, especially sometimes older communities that live in these places with tougher access to healthcare. And it just felt like the right way to attempt a trail like that. So I thought this is a new type of challenge. I can really try something I've never done before and make something out of a year where you know, I've kind of been sitting, waiting to see what I could plan for the future. So it came about really quickly. I was narrowed down to three or four options. And then um, Colorado just fell into place. And having lived there for from 2014, um, for like four years, I just knew quite a bit about um, the trail and the landscape. So it felt like it was going to be the easiest to plan too. So as we're all watching along on your journey on Instagram, you know, we're, everybody's rooting for you, but you're getting two, three, maybe four hours of sleep a night. You're hiking at night, hiking in the dark. What kept you going? I, 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 as I, as, as I'm watching you go, I'm like, wow, I don't know if I would be that motivated to push myself that hard to put my body through that. What is it about this last particular fastest known time through hike? Um, what, 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 what was it about that experience that kept you going? That's a really good question. Maybe I'm just really stubborn. Um, hmm. When I think about some of the harder times, I just zeroed in on focusing so much on how I was doing right at that moment. And not really thinking about how much there was to go or maybe how little I'd covered up to that point that I knew I, you know, really wanted to be successful. So I just wanted to see how far I could push my body and this being something unsupported that I'd never done like this before. It was the chance to be successful at something totally new that kind of drove me. And maybe it looks the same on paper to a lot of people, but Basically, it was double the 
almost double the longest I'd gone unsupported before. So in my mind, that was just something cool to prove to myself out there. So it really was, I wrote a post the other day about how really when you go out on these FKTs, it's some part physical and some part mental until you hit the start line and until you enter into the FKT, then it's all mental. Like your physical preparations and everything are kind of set. And then you just have to mentally decide how you're going to push your body physically. So yeah, it was just this big, this big nine and a half day trip inside my own mind of deciding that I wanted to push towards the end. What kept you going during that hike? What was it that got you up at 2 a.m. to go and hike? Yeah, I think I just had decided that's what I was going to do for like the better part of 10 days. And so I was prepared to to do that. I knew that it would hurt. I knew I would be tired. But I also knew that um, getting to that point where you're so you're questioning if you're going to be able to make it to the end physically that's also a pretty magical moment where you realize that you have a lot more left in the tank and in your body physically than your mind wants you to believe sometimes so on this particular um through hike you had a film crew follow you what did the decision process look like to have the film crew come along with you on this journey but also i know they had to keep their distance what was that like while you were hiking knowing that people are watching you and you may not even be able to see them yeah it was weird for about one day and then i was so immersed in my own adventure that it was really secondary i um yeah i'd say like kennebec pass i noticed they were there but after that it just became something that they were doing their thing and I was doing mine. Um, and kind of the decision came about where um, we'd worked on some projects earlier um, that we'll see where they end up, but and came into contact with some um, people that do some filming and stuff. And so we had the connections and all those people are pretty much out of work because Hollywood's shut down for the most part for about, I don't know, probably the next year. And so we uh, just decided, well, they don't have anything to do. We have this really cool project idea. There's not a lot of new content being created. Like, let's just take the plunge. And so how we decided it is um, my girlfriend Maggie kind of took charge of that organizing that side. And I didn't want to know any of the locations they would be filming. Um, I didn't even know everyone that was on the crew when they were out there and then there were strict rules that there was going to be no communication um, pretty much in any way, not even eye contact out there. And it was really just like we were on two adventures kind of capturing the same thing. And I had a small camera that I did like some selfie videos on, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things that I thought might be take away from the experience. But after day one, it was such an intense experience that it really, didn't seem to weigh on it. And, um, I would say the only time is when I was using the bathroom, I would wonder if the crew was around or something getting <laughs> captured in a, in a strange environment. <laughs> so talk about the feeling you had when you completed 
the Colorado Trail fastest known time. What was what were you, what was going on inside Jeff's head when you did it? It's done. Yeah, I was just so tired. I I would say I was equally relieved and also just happy that I had somehow broken the FKT. It was such I guess it was nine days, but it felt like it could have been nine years just being in your head and so self-contained for so long. It was almost like each hiker I saw along the way was like this chance to leave my own, um, not prison, but just like where I was spending my time in my own mind. It, it was strange to enter out into the world again. And then there were a couple of friends waiting at the end and it was yeah, it was just like I jumped from one world to another. Like I was back in real civilization, interacting with people, got to lay down, take a break, like finally got to be a daylight hour where I didn't have to continually be pushing. And it was, I would say more than anything, relief and a bit of elation, but it was such just an intense internal experience that when it ended so abruptly, it was sort of like, wow, now I'm back to, to how, how life actually goes. That's awesome. And I can't even comprehend the experience of being so cut off and then being dropped back into the world. But with, with that though, um, I, I'm curious to know how shifting gears a little bit, how hiking has changed your relationship with the people thinking back to when you first hiked the Pacific Crest trail to now where this is pretty much, for, as far as everyone around you, you know, online can see this is hiking is, is become kind of who you are. How has your relationships with people changed for better and maybe even for worse because of your love of hiking? I think it's made them, it's made my relationships with people change for the better in the sense that, um, on my first through hike, I met a lot of people. Um, well, there were only like 300, 300 of us through hiking the trail that year. This was before the the movie and the book wild and blowing up the trails, but every person it seemed was willing to have at least a one or two minute conversation. And it was, everyone was gracious with their time and we got to interact. And that's one of the things I've tried to carry forward. And now I guess almost gaining a platform and an audience by accident. I really just want to be able to interact with people and have that one or two minute conversation, whether um, we know each other, we don't know each other, if they know me or I know them. Like I would just like to walk away from someone and then walk away from me, like thinking, oh, that's just a normal good person. And I think that's kind of what through hiking has taught me. Like it's sort of like when you go on a date and your date is on her phone the whole time. You just never get to connect. That's kind of how through hiking is. You get out of the real world with all the distractions gone and you can actually connect. So whether it's one minute or one hour around a campfire or you camp together, you can just connect so much quicker. I think that's what I've tried to carry forward in the world is just like be present when you're talking to someone, when you're walking to get the mail or just using the moments that you have interacting with someone to actually connect instead of being distracted by all the easy ways to distract yourself these days. So you talk about life before wild and, and the book and the movie came out and how through hiking was so different then as it is now. I know the PTCA said, even now the PCTA says 
the biggest driver to people on the trail is no longer the movie and the book Wild, but it's YouTube. Yeah. So the culture of through hiking and hiking in general has changed quite a bit um, for better and for worse. What are some things about the way the hiking community is now that you just love and cherish? And what are some ways that we can, as a community, improve? Yeah, I um, think it's great to inspire people to get outdoors. And I think from that comes this uh, better funding and organization and ways to create new trails and places for people to get outdoors and enjoy. So I think from YouTube and Instagram and all that, that's been a benefit and just more people enjoying the outdoors and hiking. I think it really adds to enjoyment and connection and even health reasons. And it's just, I think connecting to nature and hiking is a wonderful activity, but I think the things that we can do and have been inhibited by YouTube and social media is like this desire to capture every step of the trail and um, as everyone says, like, you know, a picture, you know, you can take all these pictures, but it's better in real life. I think it's great to capture it and show a picture to a day on Instagram or talk on YouTube. But I think that when hikers are out there, you should focus on keeping some of those experiences and the things you see and the, uh, experiences for yourself. Cause it'll never be as good when you showcase it. Maybe, let someone in behind the curtain a little bit, but keep some of that for yourself. We don't need to share every step of the way. And that also takes away from your experience. If you're looking at the world through the camera on your phone versus just putting that phone away and really immersing yourself in it. So I think just being cognizant of um, what's around you versus trying to capture what's around you. And yeah, I think the biggest thing in the last 10 years of through hiking has been that shift where um, I I probably had a Facebook back when I through hiked, but I didn't post anything on it. My phone um, might have had 3G, but I didn't depend on it for anything. It was sort of like I had a half mile paper maps that I navigated. I had a compass. It was a high snow year, so we had to figure out where the route went through the snow just with map and compass. So it was such an experience where we were out there sort of on an island hiking through this trail and enjoying it as a trail family without this continual connection to the outside world and showcasing what we are seeing to others. So just a different way to do things back then. And I've been just as much a part of trying to capture things and show the world what it's like too. But sometimes it's nice just to put the phone away and walk and listen to nature and not really worry about explaining what you're experiencing to everybody else. That's such good advice. Cause I think so, so many times you get on the trail and you want to get that capture. You want to get that Instagram pic. You want to get that good footage, but then you have to ask yourself, why are you, why am I out here? What, what am I, what am I doing out here? And sometimes you just got to turn it off, which I think is so important for so many of us uh, just be willing to turn it off and, and just have that experience. And maybe you don't need to share it with everybody. Um, shifting gears again, this year, along with COVID, 2020 for hikers has been tough, especially if you're on the West Coast, anywhere near the Pacific Crest Trail because of the wildfires. I, I had a section hike of the, the PCT planned this last week. I had to cancel because of the wildfires, of course, and in my community, as I talked about last week, has been devastated. Um, 
I know you've had your own um, life impacted by these fires. Talk a little bit about what's been going on with you being from the Pacific Northwest and these wildfires. Yeah, uh, my family for the past 20 years has had a cabin kind of by, uh, well, it's right next to Elkhorn Golf Course, which is by about 30 minutes from Detroit Lake um, in the where the Beachy Creek fire um, raged. And it actually had like once in a hundred year um, s- strength winds blow through the canyon and overnight exploded, kind of just blew up the whole thing. And our family cabin burned to the ground and actually just heard our um, immediate neighbor uh, did not make it out either. So it was just wild to, and then another neighbor survived. Uh, he was in a USA Today article, survived by staying under the bridge right below our cabin and made it out and actually got a picture of our cabin burning. So it really just, I would put it like uh, seeing the fires for like Paradise, California and some of the big fires over the last probably five or so years that have just been huge. It really puts in perspective when it actually touches your life in a real way that all those fires touch someone's life in a real way. And it makes you understand a little bit more. I think we're so overwhelmed with news that you know, we can conceptualize, but not truly relate to that when you have this, um, relatability, you get to actually feel compassion for everybody because you know what they went through. I mean, it was our cabin, but it, so it wasn't our permanent residence and the possessions we lost it's and the place and the trees and everything burning and it'll never be the same, but it wasn't my parents' permanent residence or anything. So in that sense, we're lucky but so many people, especially down by where you are, lost pretty much everything. I had um, two aunts and uncles that live in Shady Cove area actually have to uh, evacuate as well. So, yeah. yeah, it's just been wild. And as a hiker, I know something I've been very cognizant of lately. How do you do your part in helping bring awareness? I mean, not to sound like Smokey Bear here, but but help prevent forest fires uh, with what you do um, being on the trail and just being a, an outdoor advocate. Yeah, I think um, it really comes from growing up doing those three mile hikes with really heavy gear and cooking over a fire as my mom would make us uh, take the pan to the, the lake and get water for as many trips as when we poured it on the fire, it wouldn't smoke anymore. And while that might be a little overboard, um, a few times actually when camping with people, especially out West, when there is a fire, I've kind of just always have that, I guess, trepidation in the back of my mind. Like, well, if we don't have enough water to douse the fire, put it out, like maybe we shouldn't do it. So I don't know that I've changed lives or anything like that, but just really growing up with that healthy sense of, you know, it could flare up at any moment. Actually a story when I was hiking the great Western loop, I was um, near priest Lake and I was up on this Ridge where really no one hikes other than the Pacific Northwest trail people. And I saw this smoke coming from this far Ridge. I believe it was like lion's head Ridge or something. And, um, I walked a little further and had cell service and actually called in a, the start of a forest fire there, which they were able to to put out. But it's just a little anecdote. I just think 
especially after everyone should read kind of about the Beachy Creek fire, because I think it really illustrates how easy it is for something to flare up. And you always think, oh, we can, you know, leave a fire. It'll just burn out. And, but, you know, you add in the right wind and dry stuff and something can really explode so much quicker than, than even makes sense most of the time. And that's something I, I try to tell other people who want to go in the outdoors. I try to emphasize as much as possible. I had a similar experience uh, in late June where I was out hiking up Soda Mountain and I could see Mount Shasta and I could literally I look over the border into California and I saw a fire pop up. And I know in the past I would have been like, oh, you know, they'll, they'll see it. But I went ahead and just, I, I had cell service. I don't know how, but I did. I was able to call 911 and they patched me through to Cal Fire. And though they, they had said, oh, you know, actually we were on that, but they had told me like, thank you so much. Never hesitate to call. You know, even if you think, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. Someone's going to figure it out. Never hesitate to call because you never know winds might be in the right way. They might be just dry enough. And it, might, it could destroy a place like, you know, Paradise or Detroit, Oregon, or, you know, Phoenix and talent. You, you don't want to have that. So as hikers, it's our responsibility to be sometimes the eyes and ears of the Forest Service as yeah. we're out on those trails. I think, yeah, I want to reiterate that. I think that's so good. Yeah, if you yeah, see something, it never hurts to call because that's why there are all those services. And, you know, the best thing they can tell you is, oh, yeah, we're already aware and we're headed out there. And, you know, if they're not, you you made the right decision either way. So I think that it's never like you called in and they're like, oh, don't waste our time calling. They were like, thank you so much for calling, even though we already had it covered. I think that's just so important for people to consider is that, you know what, that took you maybe a minute and it could have saved a lot more. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you're, your name, your 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 name online. You you have your trail name, Legend. We'll talk about the, the 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 origins of that. But you've been known lately as the fastest known tiger, and you've really pushed into that identity with your wardrobe and everything. Talk a little bit about how that came about. Which is funny because as I'm talking to you, I hear your cats in the background, which is awesome. Don't stop that because you're known as the fastest known tiger, and I hear cats in the background. What what what's going on there? Wow, you're making me sound like just a tiger king that has a <laughs> like a herd of cats running around all the time. But this cat is very vocal, so yeah, you'll probably hear him again. But um, it was so it started. Let's see, maybe in 2017, I just saw this great design online and bought a tiger sweatshirt. I wore it a bit. And nothing too much came of it. And then I was hiking the Great Western Loop. It was September in, or maybe August, but it's sometime in Montana. And it was starting to get colder and I needed another layer because I had, I don't know, a good 3,000 miles left of hiking that year. So I jumped on Amazon and was browsing technical um, sweatshirts with animal print on them because I thought, I, I like making people laugh and I thought that would be funny. So I'm just looking through and I see the same design I bought like a year earlier and it was like, oh yeah, this is absolutely the one I need to buy. So I bought it, had it shipped to a post office, wore it for the rest of the Great Western Loop. And then um, kind of it evolved over the next 
few months I before the long trail or before I did the John Muir trail actually I cut the sleeves off and hemmed them making it my first sewing project I'd ever done myself to make a sleeveless tiger sweatshirt and uh, it just kept going I uh, I just yeah and then I talked to Chris who owns Light AF about a pack and he was like well I just got a printer I can print tiger stripes on one and it was like yeah we have to lean into this and so it just has turned into this identity theme that I hope people laugh at and you know it maybe it makes me feel like a five-year-old but I'm a pretty proud five-year-old just sporting animal themed clothing and I think it's especially this year I have a bunch of animal shirts of different kinds like a goat a unicorn a pig and i think if you can make someone smile this year that's even if it's at the expense of them thinking you're a little bit weird which i obviously am i think it's just so worth it and the whole tiger thing just i hope it made some people smile during the colorado trail and they didn't even need to be following because it was a record more so just here's a weird guy hiking the trail, trying to do it really fast, dressed as a tiger. And if that's what they were into it for, that's okay with me. <laughs> so you've inspired a lot of people um, online with, with your, with your story and what, what, what you've done. How did the decision come about to write a book about your experiences of the, uh, the triple crown? What was that like? And I, I feel bad because I haven't read the book. I generally like to read the book before I have an author on. Um, but what what was that process like of writing a book about your experiences? Yeah, it was, it was a tough process. So it was really easy to write a first draft actually like flew through it, just really itching to get things down um, in a document. And I've really enjoyed writing over the years, but I didn't realize how much happens after the draft, just going through it and figuring out, um, like my draft was probably the equivalent of three books long and just trying to pare that down and figure out how to tell the story in an interesting way. And it was something I think everyone talks about wanting to write a book. And then I just ended up with this awesome idea story of doing the calendar year triple crown. No one's written a book about it before. It was like, I got to write a book and I've always wanted to write a book and I enjoy writing and so I got everything down and then the editing process, I went to work, um, back to work. It was working 70 or 80 hour weeks. So it was just so hard to move at a snail's pace of trying to edit after a long day of work. So it probably took two years to get from the first words to actually published. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it was the inspiration was just to share a story. And I like showing when I've written articles and other things and done podcasts, I like showing that there's, it's not like, I think you read about people or like even thinking the Olympics, like Usain Bolt, it's like, Oh, he ran nine and a half seconds for a hundred meters. But it's like, well, what went into it for him to do that? And it's like, Oh, this guy did the calendar year triple crown. And it's like, well, he made these stupid decisions. These things were lucky. And this was really hard. And I like to illustrating the story that goes into something like that and saying like, it's not just, I did the calendar year triple crown and I'm really tough. It's like, yeah, I had some moments where I broke down and was really frustrated and stuff too. I think that's where things get interesting is showing 
the actual emotions and parts and trials and tribulations that go into an epic sounding adventure. And your book is called Free Outside, A Trek Against Time and Distance. And I'm going to be calling my bookstore here in Ashland today and have them order it because I want my own copy of that. And I encourage everybody to do the same. Um, with that, though, um, a lot of people listening online, watching your story on Instagram, what would you tell someone who's never hiked? Like, they're not even really a day hiker, much like my story. I never really day hiked or did anything like that. And they want to get into hiking, whether it's through hiking, FKTs, section hiking, day hiking, whatever it is. What would you tell someone wanting to get out of the house and get on the trail for the first time and maybe make that a part of who they are? Yeah, I would first tell someone just there's so many good websites now, like even an all trails or something, but find a local hike, maybe something that you're confident you can do. Maybe it's one mile, maybe it's five, maybe it's more, maybe it's less, but I would say find that hike, drive out to it. And I guess for safety, take your phone, but turn it off or something and just walk without headphones in and just kind of think about how lucky you are to have the access to that. And I think that's when you'll know if that's what, if it's something you want to do is just when you put yourself out there, no distractions, and then just this free time to think and enjoy where you are. I think it's really, you can read a thousand articles online about gear and shoes and how to train for hiking and how to be fit and stuff. But it's all about like the mental enjoyment of it. And if you can go out and enjoy this hike and realize that you're lucky to have this access to lands and get to really enjoy it with no distractions, then I think that's when you can look into the finer points. But it's really just understanding like the mentality of hiking it's not like it's always a race or it's not like you're running against a hundred other people or you're you're out there to be extremely social or you're out there to show the internet or instagram that you went on this hike it's more so you got to go out there and realize that you enjoy that hike for you and for what it adds to your life so i think it's just really hitting on that mental side first and then there's so many more things that go into it, but most of those things are so much easier to figure out than the mental aspect. Awesome. Our last question, your trail name legend. What's the story there? (laughs) Yeah, this was in 2011 on the Pacific Crest trail. We were camped. um, I think it's called grassy hollow visitor center just outside Wrightwood. And we'd spent a town day and hiked out and we're just camped one mile in on the Pacific Crest Trail and we sat there and we're thinking like, man, why didn't we pack out town food? Like that was quite a, a mistake. So I being I was the youngest, I was twenty and I wanted to impress everyone. So I said, I'll go back and get us a pizza. So I put on my crocs and they all doubted I could do it. Walked back to the highway and hitchhiked into Wrightwood and ordered a pizza. An hour later, um, I picked up steaks to cook over the fire. Hour later, got a ride back to the trail with this uh, 16-year-old who'd gotten his license a week prior and showed up at our camp. I'm a little shooken up from the drive and walked in with the pizza and steaks and sat him down in front of everyone. And they said that that was legendary and all their hiker hungers were fed and they deemed my name legend from there on. And multiple people said, well, this can't be your only trail with such a good name like legend. So apparently I have 
made sure to uh, add some more trails to the list. Awesome. Now, if people want to buy your book, follow you on various social media networks, where would they go? Uh, freeoutside.com has everything, and that's kind of what I run. And then the free outside on Instagram and facebook.com slash free outside, pretty much free outside in every regard. And even the book is called free outside. So keep it pretty simple. All right. Actually one last question. What's next? (laughs) Good question. Lots of recovery. And, um, I like to visit, um, new states by finding a trail through them. So I haven't been to Arkansas and Oklahoma. So I'm thinking maybe the Washita trail in the late fall. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us here on the hiker podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. So thank you, Jeff, so much for coming on the show and taking the time to talk to me. We talked about everything from Oregon fires to his book free outside a trek against time and distance along with his uh, FKTs and just his journey. And that's my goal in this show is to get to the hiker behind the trekking poles to really just kind of find out, you know, not just how would you do this and what gear to use for that. You can find all that out. Um, you know, that's, that's all online, but I want to get to know the person and just a great guy. And I, I hope to have him on the show again. So Jeff, thank you so much for coming onto the show and talking with me. Everyone, make sure you follow him. Great guy. And uh, yeah, I just was super excited to have the opportunity to talk with him. He was so gracious to me. With that, guys, make sure you go to hikerpodcast.com for all the latest from us, various social media networks, all the different places to listen. We just submitted to Amazon Podcast. I'm super excited about that. Hopefully, it'll head back soon and you can listen to us on Amazon, which, you know, they're taking over the world anyway. So, you know, might as well jump on board. I'm kidding. Not really. I don't know. I don't know what to think about Amazon. Yeah, you, if, you're buy, if you're buying books and you're buying um, gear, you know, use your local outfitters and bookstores. That's all I got to say. Uh, with that, though, go to Hacker Podcast. Uh, for all the various social media networks. You can listen to old episodes there. All the um, notes for the shows are on there as well. Just click on podcast. If you'd like to help out those who have suffered great losses in the fires here in Southern Oregon, go to hikerpodcast.com as well. You click on the Phoenix Talent Fire Relief Fund where you can help out. That's it. Oh, oh one, more, one more thing. I have a few stickers left, Hiker Podcast stickers left. After these ones are gone, I've ordered some bigger ones, but I want to start charging for those bigger ones uh, just be, to, to help the show out. I'm not going to be like, you know, 10 bucks a sticker, but, you know, a few bucks to help the show out a little bit. But if you'd like one of like two inch by two inch type stickers, you can uh, shoot me a DM. Go on the various social media networks, basically Instagram. Shoot me a DM and I will send you a free Hiker Podcast sticker. So go to hikerpodcast.com for all the ways to get that. And uh, yeah. Also, if you have any suggestions about who you'd like to hear on the show, let me know. Super excited about next week. Um, We have a hiker named Rabbit coming on the show. More about that next week. Thanks you to our sponsor, Sawyer, for uh, making this happen. With that said, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Hiker Podcast.